What's frustrating to me is that Israel's response to the attacks from Hamas were not compartmentalized. They were emotional. There was pride and there was ego in the immediate next steps when it could have been compartmentalized. You could have delayed your response just long enough to compartmentalize your emotions and come up with a strategically viable option for what to do next, but that didn't happen. And that's why adversaries to the US and adversaries to Israel support this ongoing confrontation between the Palestinians and Israel. We literally woke up yesterday and Hamas had crossed the border from the Gaza Strip into Israel, had kidnapped people, killed almost 200 people, mm -hmm. and launched 5,000 rockets. Yeah. We've been alive most of the time that the whole Gaza, West Bank, Israel conflict has been really active. I remember the day that I signed up for CIA, right? The I remember the headlines showing troops marching from Israel into the Gaza Strip in really? 2007. I remember it clear as day, Yeah, clear as day. And now here we are, 2023, mm -hmm. watching it all happen again. And Netanyahu, the, the leader for Israel, has declared war on Hamas, which in effect is declaring war on the Gaza Strip. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that's insane. I think that's amazing that it's happening right now. Really? I'm not laughing, so I'm very I, curious as to why you're laughing. My so my reaction is because even though you know I I woke up yesterday, I do my usual like I roll over to help my brain wake up. I pull up my phone, I have my news emails that come up, I scroll through them, um, and you know I saw it, and everybody was like surprise attack, and I'm like, okay, yes, surprise attack. There seems to be some kind of intel failure that happened. Um, People didn't seem to be expecting it. Nobody saw a buildup. But is it really a surprise that they attacked? Because this has happened, right? So the, uh, this region of the world is, is, you know, they talk about how history repeats itself. Mm -hmm. But normally it takes a long time to see history repeat itself, right? Like people ask about the fall of Rome and will the United States eventually fall like Rome? But this particular region is history repeating itself on a really fast cycle. That's fair. No, I, that is absolutely fair. Right. Right. The conflict that we've seen here, predominantly low, looks like rockets. True. And hundreds of rockets. Right. Not thousands of rockets. So a bolder, right? A bolder incursion I at mean, this point. And the coordinated effort of this attack is nothing to be flippant about, right? No, and, and flippant is the way not. that I'm in, I'm interpreting your behavior right of now. Of course. Right? Because what you had was an organized attack. They blasted holes in... I mean, have you seen pictures? I have. Unbelievable. Yeah. Like, it makes the wall that we're talking about in the United States that we talk about building on our southern border, it makes that wall look like a pittance. Right. It makes it look like a chain link fence. Right. Because the wall that actually exists between Israel and the Gaza and Gaza Strip is a giant, thick, concrete like right. wall, humongous mm -hmm. wall. Yeah. With a moat for crying outside. Like, yeah. It's insane. So the fact that they blasted holes in the wall incurred like hundreds of gunmen. Now mm -hmm. it's only hundreds, mm -hmm. which might sound like a lot until you think of like a true invasion is tens of thousands of troops usually. So right. it's not a true invasion. It's an incursion across mm -hmm. a border. But these gunmen crossed yeah. through blasted holes in a wall to kidnap Israelis and take them back into the Gaza Strip. Now, again, like you said, yeah. history repeats itself. This isn't new. Yep. 
but they launched 5,000 rockets mm -hmm. as a cover mm -hmm. to distract the Israeli Defense Force mm -hmm. while they blasted holes in a wall, incurred into Israel, they were able to hijack Israeli Defense Force weaponry. Yeah. They got tanks and trucks. My gosh, like this was legitimately a full-scale incursion mm -hmm. of an advanced level yeah. that took coordination, it took money, it took intelligence, it took, it was mature. Mm -hmm. And the fact yeah. that, that the Israelis were caught co totally flat-footed, yeah. so flat-footed that their knee-jerk reaction was to declare war, mm -hmm. that is a major, major development. In my opinion, yeah. is it history repeating itself? Yes, to your point. Yeah. But at the same time, it's significant. Right. I don't think it was an intelligence failure. I don't think we have enough information to know if it was an intelligence Fair. failure. Yeah. But it was absolutely a successful, coordinated surprise attack by a force the, I mean, Hamas is known and recognized worldwide as a terrorist organization. Mm -hmm. They're also the legitimate, or they're the legitimate leadership yeah. in the Gaza Strip. Yeah. So it's, it's all messed up. It's yeah. it's such a departure from what we even compre can comprehend in the United States, right? So I think it, what's interesting to me is that you know, like I said, even though history repeats itself, it manifests differently every time it happens, right? So there's. Um, you know, it harkens back to the last time it happened, but there's all this new information that, you know, all these this new, uh, like, geopolitical mm. um, environment that it's happening in. And I think what's interesting about this is when you look at um, not just, you know, the conflict that began, because it's still ongoing and developing, and we'll see what happens, um, but what's going, what else in the world is happening at the same time. Yes. And, you know, when I... When I read the news, um, you know, my first thought was, what's the goal here? Yeah. Right. That's a great question. Yeah. And I don't think anyone's asking that question. Mm -hmm. So I'm just, I'm interrupting you to compliment your good question. But please <laughs> continue because I think you were onto something super important right now. Yeah. So what's fascinating about this specific conflict is, you know, generally when you look at incursions or acts of war, um, you know, the goal has to do with territory, yeah. right? Russia, Ukraine, China, Hong Taiwan, Kong, Taiwan, yeah. Taiwan, um, you know, Vietnam, Korea, it all has to do with territory and, and being, you know, taking control of the land and a people and governing, you know, and having extra resources. But that doesn't seem to be the goal here. And the stated goal is actually, we basically want to kick you in the nuts for all the wrongs that you've been doing to us over the years. Um, but then what? Yeah. Right. And Hamas is being backed, like for sure. Like Hamas is being backed by other, other powers. Right. So what is that goal? Mm -hmm. Right. It's not just what is Hamas's goal. What is the goal of the people backing this development right now? And right? let's be clear, because I, I mean, I think there's, we know a lot more here than we're we're just touching the surface right now right who backs hamas iran backs hamas mm -hmm. it's also important to understand that hamas around the world while being labeled by western powers as a terrorist organization right. is a legit charitable organization right specifically for supporting the palestinians in their plight against israel right so as a political organization hamas actually has a charitable arm yeah and they can they collect monies Mm -hmm. specifically from wealthy Sunib, Sunni Arab countries. Mm -hmm. Who are those wealthy Sunni Arab countries? Qatar mm -hmm. supports Hamas. Yep. Saudi Arabia supports Hamas. Yep. 
Iran supports Hamas. Mm -hmm. That's super relevant here because geopolitically speaking, what you have is an opportunity for Iran to upset Israel and Israel's developments with the Arab world Mm -hmm. by sending Hamas in to basically cause an international incident. Right. Hamas doesn't have to win. There's no way Hamas can win. Right. Like the Palestinian enclaves Mm -hmm. are one third or less the Mm -hmm. size of the entire Jewish nation. Mm -hmm. But they they house an equal number of people. There are almost 7 million Israelis in Israel. Mm -hmm. There are almost 7 million Palestinians in Israel living in a territory less than a third of the size. Split in the middle between the Gaza Strip and the West Bank. Right. So... Everybody knows that those populations are poor, poverty-stricken. They have no formal military. They have no police force. Right. They have no... They're barely surviving. Right. So to send in... To, to launch an attack from the Gaza Strip into Israel, you're not trying to take territory. You're not trying right. to win legitimacy. You're not trying to take the capital. You are literally, right. like you said, you're just... You're doing a gut punch. Right. That's because, all it is. It's a sucker punch. Right. Because, I mean, I guess you know, defining a win. A win could be, I sucker punched you, right? But normally when it's, a, you know, when it's two states interacting, a win is, I took your land, I took your people, I killed all your people, yeah. right? But they can't do any of those Correct. things. So, yeah. So it's a sucker punch for what aim? Not mm-hmm. for the not for Hamas's win. Mm-hmm. It's a win for someone else. And right. I agree with you that the most likely country driving this conflict is Iran. Iran wants Hamas Mm. to bloody Israel's eye Mm -hmm. because they know that Israel is going to continue its history of human rights abuses. And this is something that people do not take this seriously enough. Mm -hmm. Israel is not a good place. Mm. Israel is not a democracy that reflects American values. They are not. They have a long history of human rights abuses, documented, registered. I mean, they're on multiple human watch or human rights watch organizational uh, uh, oversight committees. Like people know Mm -hmm. Israel is guilty of of torture. Mm -hmm. Israel is guilty of apartheid. Apartheid is still alive in Israel. It's what they do to the Palestinians, right? right? They restrict human movement. They apply Segregation, they apply, uh, they intentionally give, use different laws and a different legal system and a different policing unit mm-hmm. when they deal with Palestinians versus Israelis. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the discrepancy in how they treat people mm-hmm. based exclusively on religion pra- religious practice is well known, not well known. It's not well known in the American population. Right. It's well known worldwide, particularly in the Arab world, mm-hmm. but not to the American population where we believe that Israel's our friend. Because that's what mainstream media tells us. Mm-hmm. Israel's our friend. Israel is, you know, the 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 big brother, little brother who's super brave but mm-hmm. always victimized. Like, we feel bad for Israel mm-hmm. in the United States. Right. Outside of the United States, the rest of the world sees that Israel's a giant bully and they are actively exercising racism and segregation and they are, you know, they are attacking and belittling and oppressing mm-hmm. the Palestinians on their territory. On, on I, you even hear it in my own voice, mm-hmm. on their territory. The Palestinians were there first, yeah, right? So it's just insane to me because the suck, I'm on a, I'm on a tirade. Thank you for you that. Are. <laughs> I believe that the sucker punch was there mm-hmm. so that Iran could draw, could 
put a wedge mm -hmm. between increasing relationships between Saudi Arabia and yeah. Israel, mm -hmm. because Israel's made fantastic gains with UAE, yeah. with Bahrain, with other wealthy Arab countries. And mm -hmm. as, as when Israel becomes closer to wealthy Arab countries, mm -hmm. those wealthy Arab countries become less susceptible to Iranian influence. Mm. So Iran wants to drive a wedge between the Saudi-Israeli partnership, mm -hmm. and they know that they can do that mm -hmm. because they can count on Israel to commit a bunch of atrocities and human rights violations against Palestinians in response to this attack. And Netanyahu is absolutely playing his card right now yeah. by promising vengeance. Vengeance is another word for yeah. we're going to go in, kill civilians, blow up residential buildings, and the whole world is going to see that we commit atrocities in the name of our religion. Right. And I think, you know, the, un the unfortunate thing is that the the West has a, a huge role in what's happening now because we essentially created this, this problem, right? right? After World War II, nobody wanted to take the refugees that were coming the out. Refugees. The Jewish refugees, right? I don't think they wanted to take any refugees, but they were majoritively Jewish. And the Western powers were like, what can we do with all these refugees? We don't want them on our soil. And so I'm fairly certain the UK had you had land had had colonized you know that part of that area and we're like you know what we have some land it's you know historically it we can yeah. argue that it's theirs we'll just kind of move the people that are already there we'll plop them there and they'll be great and they'll thrive and have their own country and we will support them yep. because we're not going to take them right right so then we put this group of people basically in like a you know, den of lions, right? right? We're like, here's all this land for you that historically belongs you know, to this belong, other group, or you know, but we're going to push them out. Arguably, it belongs to a number of groups, True. right? I mean, if honestly, if you look at the Bible, there are a number of groups that that land has belonged to over time. So, you know, but you know, we'll make this yours, and this is for you. And now, and then they were surrounded by people, you know, other countries that hated them. And so what was their reaction? The reaction was to build up these giant walls to create these amazing defenses yep. to, you know, react in a way where they, because their life, their lives had actually been at risk. I mean, they were like, I mean, the Holocaust wiped out millions mm -hmm. of Jews, right? Like they were in a place where they were like, never again. You even stick your toe over the line, and I am going to punch you in the face so hard right. you never want to come back. So Correct. that is the reaction that they have built up over time. And I'm not saying it's right to commit human rights abuses. I absolutely have disagreed with the way it's been handled because all it, all it does is create this cycle of violence where nobody – like you just – there's never forgiveness. Right. It will never cease, Right. Uh, people will continue to suffer on both sides. What is in my, you know, here, my liberal again, right? My heart is like, what is the point of this? Yeah. I understand your suffering, but all of you are suffering now and you're causing it. Right? And that's what's so sad is you're exactly right. The Palestinians are suffering. The Israelis are suffering. Yes. And here's the truth is when you look at the conflict objectively, mm -hmm. nobody is winning. No. Like everybody is losing. Right. And their responses are painfully predictable. So predictable right. that an outside, you know, aggressor like Iran mm -hmm. can essentially oh, throw yeah. a few hundred thousand dollars towards Hamas. Yes. And they can create an international incident on command. Right. Because it's so predictable how Israel is going to respond. They and meanwhile, and meanwhile, mm -hmm. I'm sorry, but and, and meanwhile, yeah. Netanyahu 
and the the you know conservative base that's running Israel right now, yep. they they have painted themselves into a corner where they have no choice. Yeah. Even if he wanted to come out and say, "Hey, world, we believe that this was a coordinated attack that was executed on behalf of this country to do this to separate our people and to drive a wedge, and we're not going to let that happen." Mm -hmm. If he were to do that, his own internal hardline conservatives yeah. would would oust him, just mm -hmm. like. I mean, again, speaking of timing, yeah. I don't think it's any coincidence that we just ousted the American uh, Speaker of the House, Speaker of the House yeah. within days mm -hmm. of this conflict, you know, kicking off. Right. We have just neutered our own ability to approve funding for our allies militarily mm -hmm. by kicking out our Speaker of the House. Right. And we're in a continuing resolution that just barely passed seven days ago. Right. That included in that continuing resolution was cutting off any funding for Ukraine. Yeah. So we have just like, we have a war in Europe that we mm -hmm. have been funding for almost two years. Yeah. And we just terminated our own ability to fund that war. Mm -hmm. And then Hamas incurs into Israel and Israel declares war on the Gaza Strip. And, and yeah. what what is America going to do? Right. Are we going to pass an executive order that funds mm -hmm. Israel, that goes against what the people have mm -hmm. wanted and violates our continuing resolution in yeah. the lead up to an election year, the timing is so painfully brilliant. Right. It shows you this was not Hamas just waking up one day and being like, you know what, yeah. we, we need to cause some trouble. This yeah. was coordinated and planned carefully by an intelligent, mm -hmm. an intelligent uh, American counterpart like an intelligent I'm, I'm losing my vocabulary i'm so angry <laughs> right a foreign aggressor of some sort contributed to the planning and execution of this right and it's somebody who is paying attention to the vulnerabilities that are visible in the various governments right so um you know israel and hamas have glaring vulnerabilities that make them susceptible to manipulation mm. right so whether or not, and you know, part of manipulation, you know, if you do it the right way, the person doesn't even know that they're being manipulated, right? They think it's their idea. So maybe Hamas is like, this is a great idea. We definitely like, we, we're pissed off. Like, let's yeah. do this. But if it's, but it could be somebody else's hand guiding them like, yeah, they're, you're, you need to do something about this, whatever. And we're just going to wait for the right time, right? We will give you these resources. We're just waiting for the right time. And then somebody sees America's vulnerabilities shining on, you know, yeah. right on the stage, right? And then they, they take action. That's how intelligence works, right? Intelligence is people paying attention to vulnerabilities so then they can manipulate yeah. and have the, the unfair advantage, right? So I think you're totally right. Can you define vulnerability? Because I want to make sure that everyone who's engaging in this conversation with us understands the the terminology that we're using. So what is a vulnerability when you use the word vulnerability? Uh, so a vulnerability in my mind is a pain point um, that can be used by somebody else to essentially manipulate you and get you to do something that they want to do. Correct. And a vulnerability can be anything. Yeah. I, in, a, in essence, a vulnerability is a leverage point. Yes that you can use against someone to do something that is not in their own best interest. Yes. That's what a vulnerability yes. is. So whenever we're manipulated mm -hmm. by our parents, mm -hmm. whenever we're manipulated by abusive boyfriends or girlfriends, yeah. whenever we as spouses manipulate each other, <laughs> when you make me feel guilty about not taking out the trash, <laughs> what you're doing there is you're leaning on a vulnerability. Yeah. It's an area where you can lean into me to get me to take some kind of action that is not in my best interest. Right. 
That is exactly what happened here, right? Mm -hmm. The action that Hamas took is not in their best interest. Right. Somebody used a vulnerability to get them to take that action. And now Israel is responding in a way that is not in their best interest. Right. But it's predictable because somebody else understood, like you said, the vulnerabilities on both sides. Yes. The only way to shore up those vulnerabilities is to acknowledge them. Yes. Communicate them. Yep. And then intentionally take an action that does not execute, right? Mm -hmm. That's not what we're seeing right now, right? Yeah. Instead, what we're seeing is hundreds of Palestinians dead. Right. Like Israel is dro- is running air raids, dropping mm-hmm. bombs on residential buildings. Yeah. I mean, come on. That is not how you win the popular support of the world by dropping bombs on residential buildings in a mm. poverty-stricken section of your own country mm. to further oppress and repress the people mm-hmm. who are an ethnic minority who you treat with discrimination as an ethnic minority. That's not how you win a war. Mm. That might be how a conservative base and you know hawkish mm. military leaders tell their own people, vengeance has been served. Mm-hmm. But that's not how you actually demonstrate to the world that you are a responsible democracy. It's not how you do it. If they care, though, because there's an assessment being done by somebody right now. Yeah. And this entire time, there's somebody assessing what's going to be the blowback of every military decision that's been made, right? And it might not even affect the decisions that are being made by the military, but it is affecting somebody who's like, okay, this is the blowback we expect, and this is how we're going to manage that. Yeah. And if it's not too horrible, nobody's going to say anything to a general anywhere. Right? So here's here's what kills me. What kills me is that, you know, I I absolutely sympathize with the Jewish plight. Yep. Worldwide, forever, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Right. And I understand the close relationship that the United States and the responsibility that the United States has yeah. to support the Jewish people. Absolutely. Yeah. After having lived in a Muslim country mm-hmm. with my family, mm-hmm. I also understand the Palestinian plight. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not until you spend time with Muslims mm-hmm. and you hear them talk about Palestine and you hear them talk about, you know, Islam being repressed in their own religious center as well, that you start to understand that their point of view is very similar to the Israeli point of view. Yeah. It's incredible how how much these two groups have in common. And yet when it comes to the actual borders where they where they collide, the clash is intense. Layer on top of that, mm-hmm. the rule of law. Yeah. And that's when it starts to fall apart. When you layer on the rule of law, you start to see that nobody nobody has such a significant plight that they earn the right to discriminate and repress another group based exclusively on their ethnicity and their religious beliefs. Right. So it's, I'm sorry, that's just where the facts lead. It's unfortunate, but that is where the facts take us. And that's the truth of what's happening in Israel. So as long as Israel and Palestine allow this continuing issue to Mm -hmm. bleed, right? This cancer to continue, they're going to leave themselves ripe for manipulation from outside parties. Right. Because in this, I, I, the thing that gets me is that Israel was making such incredible gains seeking cooperation and diplomatic recognition across the Middle East. Mm -hmm. And now that is going to come to a screeching halt because their relationship with UAE, their relationship with Bahrain, their relationship with Saudi Arabia is all contingent Mm -hmm. on them 
treating with humanity and fairness the Sunni Muslim population that exists in Palestine. Mm. All three of those countries are some of the strongest supporters of Palestine. Yeah. So as lo the longer this war lasts, mm -hmm. the longer that Palestinians die, the more Israel is at risk of ostracizing itself from all the benefit, all the gains that it's made with the Arab world in the last three years. Yeah. And Iran knows that. And Iran knows that a fractured Sunni population, a fractured uh, Khaliji Middle East mm -hmm. is beneficial to Iran because yeah. it gives them the grounds that they need to spread Sunni Islam and to spread their Red Crescent and increase their influence, mm -hmm. which is why they use groups like Hamas. Hezbollah has entered the fray. Right mm -hmm. now, Hezbollah is involved in attacks in northern Israel. Right. Hezbollah is another group, another terrorist organization backed by Iran, and they're the legitimate government in Lebanon. Yeah. So it's just, we are watching, ah, just tyranny. Mm -hmm. We're watching it unfold in the Middle East at a very opportune, opportunistic time mm -hmm. with the Biden presidency, like the Biden presidency yeah. in decline, uh, an election year coming up. Yeah. Conflict inside the United States. We're out of money. There's a financial tr like mm -hmm. issue, a financial crisis around the world, mm -hmm. and this is exactly when extremism is at its best. Right? It it yeah. flourishes when civilization is distracted. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it is um, interesting if if people are paying attention to um, you know global you know global politics, you know, global politics and global, uh, you know, economics, you know, and then they, and they view the, view events, like actions that China takes, actions that Russia takes, actions that, you know, Hamas is taking um, through the lens, through a broader lens of what is going on mm -hmm. everywhere else, then it really does help you understand. And I think be able, I mean, you're getting closer to what analysts do at the CIA, right? You're, better able to predict that this is you this is a riskier time right now right because this is creates opportunity yeah. like all these other things happening create opportunity for somebody to come in and do something when the rest of the world is vulnerable yeah you know we had a friend a friend come up to us recently mm -hmm. who has who is jewish mm -hmm. and has friends in the idf yep. who are reservists who are now being called into action right and that friend came to us and asked us you know what does because, I mean, they were very upset. Yes. Very upset. And I think that what they were hinting at is that their intent or their they were considering yeah. volunteering for the IDF from yeah. here in the United States. Grab, jumping on a plane. I think they even told us the plane tickets were 800 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. They were ready. They're like, I can go right now. Right. Yeah. So jump on a plane, fly to Israel, pick up a gun and start fighting or pick up whatever the IDF yeah. told them to pick up. Like that's... That was where they were coming from yeah. when they approached us. Yeah. Uh, and they essentially asked us like, hey, what does CIA teach you to do mm -hmm. when the people you love and care about are at risk? Right. Yeah. And I thought it was a really fascinating question because um, we have been in those exact situations where, you know, on a, on a much quieter scale where, you know, a fellow officer of ours, we knew they were out in a dangerous place on a dangerous mission and you don't hear from them for possibly you know weeks at a time and the whole time you are personally worried but you have a job to do right and um you know the way that we handle it and i and i've i've talked to other you know we had a, a friend who's um you know was delta force and i asked him the same question because i was like you are out there like 
Like your buddy is like dies right next to you. Like how do you handle that? And he had the same answer that we use, which is compartmentalization. You have to compartmentalize your feelings apart from what your job is that you need to get done because whether or not like so you're, something horrible is happening or you are wondering if something horrible has happened, you have to continue with the job. Yeah. You cannot falter because then everything hits the fan, right? You have to stay professional and continue. Yeah, what we're talking about here is compartmentalizing, which means separating. Yeah. You have to separate your emotions about the event mm -hmm. from your actions within the event. Mm -hmm. And that's compartmentalizing. Yep. And you, be, you can and, be yourself, yeah. but you have to recognize that the emotional self gets pushed aside temporarily yeah. Yeah. when you are in the mission. Because if you let the two clash, mm -hmm. you're going to have an event that we call compounding errors. Right. Which is the same thing our Delta friends have talked about, right? Yes. And you compounding errors means that your emotions mm -hmm. influence your professional decisions. Yes. And then you don't make the best professional decisions, yep. which then lead to more emotions that mm -hmm. lead to more impact to professional decisions. And you end up being suboptimal in both. Right. Suboptimal in both at a moment in time when you need to be optimized. Yep. And I mean, that is why when you are hired and, you know, when you go through the hiring process for the CIA and when you go through the, the process to become special forces, they do a lot of psychological testing, yeah. right? And they have psychiatrists on hand for after an event or right before you go out, right? Constant reevaluation. Constant reevaluation um, because they need people who are able to, I mean, when you say separate, it's not just like, oh, I'm going to, you know, you know, it's like, it's not like, you know, everything's on a table and you just shove it a little bit to the side. No, compartmentalization is like you take those feelings and you shove them into a locker and you spin that lock and you don't see them anymore, right? And you know that that locker's there. And when you're all done, you can go back and you can unlock it and you can open it and kind of deal with what's going on there. But you like that is gone. Like you have to not feel those things or see those things so you can really focus because just like you said, if you don't focus, then your job doesn't get done. If yeah. your job doesn't get done- Worse things happen. Worse things happen, right? Other people suffer. Yeah. It reminds me of the FBI negotiator that we yes. worked with, mm -hmm. where uh, she was the lead negotiator in a hostage negotiation in Southeast Asia, mm -hmm. where Americans and Canadians, and I think French, were all being, kid they had been kidnapped and detained by some sort of extremist right. group. And- she was on the phone. I want to say she was actually on a cellular phone, like on a satellite yeah. phone with the head of the group. And the group was making demands. Mm -hmm. And she was trying to ask for time to fulfill those demands. Right. And then she heard gunshots. And then the leader got back on the phone and said, two Americans are dead. Fix it now. Right. And like to hear her story, it's a chilling story. Yeah. Because she had to leverage what she could leverage yeah. to process through what her options professionally were. Mm -hmm. And then she was there for, I think, another like 48 hours negotiating. Yeah. And then she got on a plane. And this is the part that always just breaks my heart. She got on a plane. Yep. And it wasn't until she sat down in her coach class seat for yeah. an international flight back to wherever mm -hmm. that it struck her finally that she could process. That she could start the processing. Yep. That she, and what she believed was that she had contributed right. to the death of two Americans. Right. In her role as an FBI agent. Right. And then she just bawled. Yeah. And But that's as heartbreaking as the story is, what a professional. Yeah. Because had she not 
been able to compartmentalize that in the moment? Yep. Had she bawled on the phone in the moment? Yeah. Who yeah. knows who else would have died? That exactly. whole operation would have turned out differently. Yep. If she had lost her focus because she let her emotions get in the way, that would have been a completely unsuccessful negotiation. Yeah. Right. And and in truth, there's probably nothing she could have done about the first about the two lives that were lost. Yeah. Because you're just you're negotiating with terrorists, right? Um, but yeah, absolutely. Like she was professional enough and trained enough and had the right mindset that she knew she had a job to get done and she just had to wait, you know, because you have to process the emotions, right? It's not like you compartmentalize forever. You're yeah. not locking it away in a, a safe and dropping it to the bottom of an ocean, right? Yeah. It's in a locker. You have to get to it later. You have to, right? But not in the moment. So essentially what we have here is, I mean, that was the guidance we gave our friend yeah. was, hey, you've got a job to do right now. Right. And jumping on a plane to fly to Israel to to be close to the people you care about yeah. is actually not going to help them yes. because you are untrained and you are a liability. So once you land on the ground in Tel Aviv mm -hmm. and pick up a gun or mm -hmm. pick up whatever you're going to pick up, mm -hmm. now all of the people that you care about who are in Israel, they didn't have to worry about you yes. when you were here in Florida. Right. But now they have to worry about you because you're there in Israel. Right. And uh, like that's going to distract them. Yeah. Like. We, we talk about victims and volunteers at CIA. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Volunteers are people who put themselves in harm's way. Right. For whatever reason, they do it intentionally. Mm -hmm. If you are part of the IDF, if you live in Israel, if you mm -hmm. choose to exercise your right as a Jewish citizen mm -hmm. to be part of the homeland, mm -hmm. you are volunteering to protect the homeland against exactly this kind of threat, which has been persistent for decades. Yeah. You are a volunteer. Right. You are not a victim. Yeah. Right? Victims are people who have violence forced upon them from a position of expected safety. Yeah. That's a victim. That is not what's happening in Israel. So I applaud anybody who wants to support and protect a victim. Mm. But when somebody is a volunteer, you have to trust the volunteer. You have to trust their intentions. You have to trust their training. You have to right. trust their purpose. You have to trust their values and let them execute what they were there to execute. That's exactly how we were taught to compartmentalize. Yep. You, people volunteer for the war zone. People volunteer for dangerous places. You and I volunteered for dozens of dangerous operations. Yeah. And every time the last thing we wanted mm -hmm. was to get ourselves in trouble and then have one of our friends yeah. try to parachute in unprepared to help us. Yeah. That was a nightmare scenario. Yeah. I mean, that's why contingency plans are always built into any operation because- When the worst happens. When the worst happens, you have a plan and everybody sticks to it. It's very professional. Absolutely. Yeah. So the I think part of what's, now that we've walked through this conversation, mm -hmm. I think that part of what really frustrates me about the current war in the Middle East, and that's what we have, that's what they declared. Yeah. So there's a war in Europe and there's a war in the Middle East. Yeah. Going into an election year. Yeah. I mean, America is, if if Americans aren't understanding how we are being manipulated by foreign forces and adversaries right now, mm -hmm. there's not much I can do to convince them, right? It, it's all happening. What's frustrating to me is that Israel's response to the attacks from Hamas were not compartmentalized. Mm. They were emotional. Mm. There was pride and there was ego and there was history and there were feelings involved mm -hmm. in the immediate next steps mm. when it could have been compartmentalized it could have been delayed six hours 12 hours 24 hours 36 hours who knows mm -hmm. you could have delayed your response just long enough to compartmentalize your emotions and come up with a strategically viable option mm. for what to do next 
Yeah, that's right? interesting. But that didn't happen. Instead, it was knee-jerk. And that knee-jerk was predictable. Mm -hmm. And that's why adversaries to the U.S. and adversaries to Israel support this ongoing confrontation, this ongoing cancerous yeah. infection that exists inside the Israeli like landmass mm -hmm. between the Palestinians and, and Israel. And yeah. it benefits it benefits bad guys mm -hmm. for that conflict to continue. It does. And right now, bad guys are the only ones winning because yeah. the Israelis aren't winning, the Palestinians aren't winning. Nobody's mm -hmm. walking out of this better than they were Saturday or Friday night, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So thank you for letting me... <laughs> well, get it all out. <laughs> letting me get all, get all the anger out. Now, there's... I think there's a really interesting question that we got that's relevant to this mm -hmm. because somebody sent us an, a message and asked us, how do we train our children to be secure mm -hmm. in an unsecure world mm -hmm. without scaring them in the process? Yeah, which is a great question because it's actually something I struggle with quite consistently. <laughs> I mean, every time I think I have, you know, something figured out, there's some new danger that pops up, you know, especially as they get older, they get more freedom, you know, when they're a babe and, you know, when they're two and they're always at your, you know, your leg, there's different dangers than when they're 10 and they're allowed to walk across the neighborhood to right. their friend's house, right? So we have our son is 10 mm -hmm. and our daughter is six. Yeah. And we absolutely, you and I, I think more than most people, mm -hmm. agree that we live in a very dangerous world. Yeah. It's not, I'm not paranoid about our world. I but, am, <laughs> unfortunately, and that's part of my struggle. <laughs> but I very objectively recognize that we are in, we live in an unsafe time, right? An unstable time. Yeah. So we do. We have to impart certain skills and certain behavioral practices on them. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the first things that jumps to my mind that I'm very proud of with our kids is that they don't answer the door. We have taught yeah. our children not to answer the door mm -hmm. for anybody, even if I, they un, even if they recognize a person on visual, mm -hmm. they know it's grandpa. They know it's their friend from across the street. They know it's mm -hmm. whatever. Even upon visual confirmation, they mm -hmm. still don't answer the door. Yeah. Unless we as adults have told them that we're expecting the visitor and that we give them permission to answer the door. Right. The only exception to, uh, well, it's not an exception. The rule that we have for when they can answer the door mm -hmm. is when we leave. Yeah. And when we come back. Mm -hmm. to a locked door, mm -hmm. we have a code word. We have yeah. a passphrase that we use so that when the children look out the window mm -hmm. or when they ask through the door, who is it? Mm -hmm. We give them a passphrase right. and they know that only mommy or daddy knows the passphrase right. or only mommy or daddy would have sent someone to the door with the passphrase. Mm -hmm. So I'm very proud of that element because that's served us in hotels. Oh, yeah. That's served us in resorts. That's served us on cruise ships. That's yeah. served us here at the house. That has absolutely served us, you know, upon dozens of times. Mm -hmm. Even though your dad still looks at me and is like, why can't the, why can't they just yeah. open the door? It's like, well, tell us when you're coming. Yeah. And we'll give them permission to open the door in advance. Yeah. And I, one of the techniques um, I've been using, which uh, I think has been fairly successful, is... Um, when I, I've chosen to focus on the safety skill and not on the story that's going to scare them into using the, the skill, mm. if that makes sense. So I will, I will think of, you know, 
what's the what's the thing that scares me that's going to happen because I know I know better than they do right from experience and then I think okay how can I prevent that from happening so what are the skills and the processes that I need to teach them and then I make a plan to to teach them and then drill them over time mm -hmm. but without quite saying you know uh don't do this because you might get kidnapped and raped, right? right? I've I've never said that to the children. We actually have one of their friends who uh, lives in the neighborhood. She's eight. And she actually a couple of times has said, you know, I don't like to walk home alone because somebody might kidnap and rape me. And so clearly her mom has drilled that yeah. into her because she says it fairly often. Like she is terrified yeah. of that happening to her. Um, Which defeats the purpose because now you're making a child feel unsafe. Yeah. And what I... Like they have no control when yes. the whole goal of preparing them for an unsafe world is to make them feel like they do have control and right. to equip them with the skills to be in control. Right. Not to make, not to destine them to feel out of control. Right. And so I try to, you know, drill the skills into them and we, you know, do these drills of, you know, uh, if there's a fire, if somebody comes to the door and then... If I feel it's appropriate, you know, or, or needed, I'll say something like, um, you know, because you can't always trust people, yeah. right? Um, you know, if you don't know them, even if you do know them, there's a whole we there's a whole concept of tricky people. It's yep. like the new uh, stranger, stranger danger, danger, right? Um, and then uh, tricky people came out because it's not always a stranger that's dangerous. Yep. It could be somebody you know. Um, so we uh, have taught them the whole concept of tricky people, and then we talk about you know, people don't always want to do the right thing. Yeah. Sometimes people might want to hurt you. I don't have to go into the details of how they might want to hurt some, you know, hurt the children because I don't think that that's helpful. But they um, understand. They understand, they understand a word like hurt. Yes, they understand that. Yeah. And they exactly. understand that that even they themselves, this is something else we do. Mm -hmm. The children understand from their own experience yes. that sometimes they do things to trick the other kid. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they mm -hmm. tell lies to get what they want. Yeah. Sometimes they take things that don't belong to them. Mm -hmm. So it's really easy to, for, to uh, categorize and to help them conceptualize mm -hmm. using their own experiences, which are yeah. not terrifying, right? I agree with you totally. Like, yeah. in order for an eight-year-old to be able to say, I'm afraid of being kidnapped and raped, yeah. they must have some concept of what that means, of what kidnap and yeah. rape is. Yeah. That, and that's, I could not imagine having to carry that burden as an eight-year-old. Yeah. Not when the same message gets across, when you say something like, there are people out there who want to keep you from getting home yeah. or keep you from getting home safe. Yeah. Follow this, follow these rules and you mm -hmm. will always get home safe. Yeah. If also a focus on um, behaviors, right? Um, because it's difficult for the, them to conceptualize what they've never experienced yeah. and will hopefully never experience. Um, so a behavior of... You know, if you are walking on the sidewalk and you see an adult walking towards you, just cross the street yep. and walk on the other side, right? Yep. Look both ways, obviously. <laughs> you have to remind them. Um, you know, or if a car pulls up to the front of the driveway, yeah. don't get near the car. If yeah. somebody starts talking to you, I want you to stay this far back, yeah. right? So behavioral is something that they And can, drilling them. I think- And drilling them, You've right? mentioned this yeah. several oh, yeah. times and I want to make sure it's it's, like, it's underscored. Like, like we drill. Yes. We practice. Yep. 
We practice, they practice, yep. they practice every time family comes over yep. without even realizing it. Now they're practicing. Yeah. And that's exactly how we want it to be. Not because, and, and our children are not paranoid. Our children do not think that the world necessarily is a dangerous place. Yeah. What they know is that they do certain things mm -hmm. to protect their own safety. Yeah. And now it's just ingrained in them. This is just the way it works. Yeah. And they, you can tell that they, they take pride in knowing the drill, yeah. right? When I'm like, I'm like, all right, I have to step out what do you do with this fire? And they, they blurt out, you know, and now they, they love it. They're yeah. like, yeah, we do this and this and we're great. We're okay, mom. Like, it's fine. We got it. So one of the so. things, uh, just to give some practical examples, we use walkie talkies in the yes. house instead of cell phones. Yeah. And there's two reasons for that. One, there's a limited range to a walkie talkie. So the mm -hmm. child can't be out of range of a walkie. Right. And then we check in on those walkie talkies and mm -hmm. we, we follow time limitations. Yeah. So we say it's 12 o'clock now. We're going to check in at 1230, mm -hmm. right? And they know to expect a radio call at 1230. Sometimes they'll even radio us yeah. just a few minutes before 1230 and say, hey, I know I'm early, mm -hmm. but just checking in. Yeah. And that now we know from our position mm -hmm. how far they are from the house because mm -hmm. they can't be further than a certain distance based on the, the walkie-talkie that right. we use. And we know that they're aware of the time yeah. and we can check in on their safety. Yeah. We also do drills when it comes to the front door. Mm -hmm. We do drills about fires. We do mm -hmm. drills about emergencies. Yeah. We review a safety plan every night, mm -hmm. partially for our own sanity, yeah. but also partially for them, about what constitutes an emergency in the middle of the night. Yes. Right? So if someone's sick, if someone's hurt, if right. someone, you know, if something happens at your window, there are certain things that constitute an emergency. Right. And that also prevents them from coming in and saying, hey, my, st I can't find my stuffed animal. <laughs> Even yes. though sometimes they still do that. Yeah, it's okay. But there are certain rules so that we can understand safety. Yep. The whole thing about tricky people. I love the tricky people concept. Yeah. Because you and I and our families, we actually have convicted felons in our families. Mm. Right? We have people who have done, who have broken laws, who have been hurt by other members within the family. Mm -hmm. So the idea of tricky people expand, like tricky people is a behavior that you see in people. Yeah. It can be anybody. It can mm -hmm. be a police officer. Mm -hmm. It can be a teacher. It can be a family member. It can be a friend. Mm -hmm. If you see these tricky behaviors, yeah. then here's how you counteract those tricky behaviors. Yep. Things like candy, things yeah. like money, things like getting in my car, things like coming into my room. They things understand like, these tricky things. Things like secrets. Things like we have secrets. A, we have an absolute rule of if anybody says this is a secret. Including you, us. Including us. Including us. You say something right away. There are no secrets. Yep. Zero. That's was, a bad sign. That's a sign of a tricky person. I remember when I tried to give our son like a chocolate <laughs> and I didn't want to give one to our daughter. Oh, I do remember that. You remember this. that? Yep. It was just a few months ago. And yeah. I was like, here, you can have these two Hershey's kisses. And he was like, what about a lie? And I said, no, Sina, let's just keep this a secret between us. Mm -hmm. And then he looked at me and he was like, Daddy, tricky people say keep secrets. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, you are so right. Mm -hmm. So then I guess we should give Elias some candy. Yeah. He's like, yeah, that's the right thing to do. Yeah. Right? Convicted mm -hmm. by my own best practices. <laughs> yeah. But it was but it was brilliant and I was so proud. Yeah. And he's exactly right. Right? Okay. I was wrong to say, let's keep this a secret because that is not. That's not what we're teaching them. Right. We're teaching, yeah. which is kind of funny when we're two spies. <laughs> Two former spies trying to tell our kids not to keep secrets. But what we really mean is don't keep secrets within the unit. Well, and you have to remember their age and where they are developmentally, yeah. right? I mean, when they are 18, I can have a more nuanced conversation about secrets and white lies and gray areas, right? But at 
10 and 6, we absolutely aren't going to do those things. And then um, I just want to mention, you know, when we're out, there are some rules we have where, you know, like we go to Legoland or we go to a museum or whatever, and we have the rules about I, I we have to be able to see each other. Um, we always pick a, a, oh, yeah. a point, uh, a meeting point. So if we do get um, separated. separated, we know where we're, where we're going to be standing looking for each other. And we always point out the people that we assess as being trustworthy. Yeah. So like the security guard. Um, but even then we'll be like, you know, if you need help, see the people in the uniform with the badge. You go to one of them and you say that you need help. But if they want to take you into a private space, you say no, yeah. right? They have to be in public with you and yeah. they can help you where everybody can see you as well, yeah. right? So we do little things like that every time, right? They, they forget. So every time we go to a museum or theme park or whatever, we make sure we do the drill, Yeah, right? Absolutely. Well, awesome. So folks, thank you very much for being part of this conversation. It was a great opportunity for, for me at least, to dive in with you and talk about current events that are really important, really significant in what's happening in the American experience and for sure in the Israeli experience and the Muslim experience. So uh, if you enjoyed today's conversation, please go ahead and subscribe to the channel, hit like, leave a comment, share us with a friend. We love hearing from you. We love seeing your thoughts. We love sharing our point of view. And we want you to agree, disagree, and feel free to say whatever you want to say, because this really is an awesome opportunity for us to expand a conversation that isn't happening anywhere else. So for sure, leave your comment below. Check out everything about our company with the, in the description box below. You'll be able to see our website. You'll be able to see the, the teaching aids that we use to help people see the world through the eyes of a spy how we train our children, how we train each other, how we train our client base, how we train our customers to look at the world differently. All of those are all of those opportunities exist if you click on everydayspy.com or go to any of the links below. Go ahead and again, subscribe, give us a like, share us with a friend, and we'll see you next time.